Thanks for joining us today on the BIB Daily Podcast. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Publisher and Editor-in-Chief of Business in Vancouver. You know, it seems the focus of the recovery of our economy is much like the politics in this country, focused very much on cities, uh, the rural economy, that of our farms, of our rural communities that are the backbone of the country, uh, really aren't getting the attention that the cities are getting at the moment. A recovery plan has been proposed by a consortium food producers in our country. Karen Ross is my guest. She's the head of the Farmers for Climate Solutions. Uh, she's in Montreal today as we speak. Good to see you. Good morning, Kirk. How, how's, uh, well, how's the farm going? You know, let me just start off by saying that the pandemic has hit every sector in Canada and, and farming and food is no exception. You know, yeah. I mean, this season has been hard and it's really been unprecedented. So, I mean, maybe just to mention a few things like COVID-19 and the pandemic itself has impacted supply chains. You know, if you think of farmers who provide to restaurants, all of a sudden restaurants are closed the next day and you're quickly scrambling to find new markets to sell your goods. Uh, we think about labor problems, you know, issues with temporary foreign workers getting into the country. And then when they are here, the concerns around quarantine and um, you know how to how to how to continue to maintain farm work and get the harvests and production that you need while keeping everybody safe and healthy. Yeah. But 2020, you know, Kirk, it wasn't just about COVID-19. We saw climate impacts as well across farms in Canada. So, you know, I'm based in Quebec and we saw this summer on top of the pandemic, the worst drought and heat wave we've ever seen in the history of the province. Uh, but if I if I think back to last year, uh, we, we dubbed this the hashtag harvest from hell because it was just far too wet. So this, you know, these are the kinds of climate impacts that we're seeing across Canada, and it's really that unpredictability and kind of the more more severe weather events that we're seeing that farmers are facing to kind of adapt and build their resilience. Yeah, I, I want to focus on on uh, climate uh, here in a moment, um, but I, I want don't want to let go too much just these more immediate issues that have struck mm. the sector, because I, I think a lot of Canadians would say, well, listen, you know, we're all eating, we're still eating. So, you know, there must be thing, but, but uh, what I think most don't understand is that the food sector is almost broken into one, into two pieces. There's this, this piece that feeds all of us in our houses every day, but then there's this whole institutional restaurant, you know, hotel type of uh, food chain here, literally. Uh, that uh, that serves that. And that was what was really ruptured almost instantly when the pandemic broke out. Yep, that's right. I mean, farmers had to adapt very quickly, particularly farmers who are growing fruits and vegetables, mushrooms, potatoes for fast food restaurants. You know, French fries were no longer a thing for a while when fast food restaurants yeah. Uh, yeah. shut down, which hit, you know, places like PEI quite hard. Um, you know, every farmer was forced to cut production by about 30%. And that change, this, this is the way farmers make their livelihoods. So, you know, many Canadians can't think about, you know, today making 100% of your income and tomorrow going into your workplace only making 70. Yeah, yeah. That's what those changes in supply chains, chains meant for farmers. Um, but I just want to add to that, you know, you mentioned that maybe Maybe regular Canadians still notice that supermarket shelves were full. Just want to provide one example, and there were many others across Canada. You know, folks out in BC, where you guys are, actually um, noticed that 
you know, blueberries were no longer available. And that's because many of the blueberry farms or were less available, you know, they'd fly off the shelves because there, there wasn't, there wasn't such a big supply. And that wasn't because blueberries weren't being produced, but rather it was challenging to get the labor on the land to be yeah. able to harvest the blueberries and get them to, to consumers. Yeah. And, and what are we still struggling with? Are we still struggling with this labor shortage at the moment, Karen? Um, well, let, let me just point to maybe a longer term crisis in the ag sector. So uh, tens of thousands of jobs every year go unfilled in agriculture. And that's just one part of kind of the labor concerns in agriculture. So currently, yes, there's still a labor shortage and it's different across, uh, across provinces in the country. But if we're thinking kind of more long-term, that's not the only labor issue in agriculture. You know, the average age of a farmer in Canada is 55 years old. Yeah, so in the next that. 10 yeah. years, we may see kind of a mass retirement in the in the egg sector. And we need to think a lot about succession, which means, you know, who's the young, who's the new generation that's going to be taking up our farm fields? And for us, you know, that generation or, or you know, and whether or not they're young, just new aspiring farmers are the folks who have grown up in a climate changing world. And many of them are going into farming because they want to make a, they're, they're motivated by environmental reasons as well. Well, so, I, I yeah, wonder though whether those environmental reasons are also uh, serving to um, to disparage, uh, you know, to disparage the idea, you know, to that it, it instills a little bit of apprehension about going into, you know, basically learning uh, something as intricate as farming, when you know that you know you might be facing changes every three, four, five years in terms of the crops that you can successfully yield. That's exactly it, Kirk. I mean, farming is absolutely one of the most challenging professions. I think any business owner, you guys know this well, they're entrepreneurial, they're innovative, they're resilient, they're adaptable. But farmers on top of just being entrepreneurs have to deal with changing weather every year, which gets harder and harder with climate change. So you know what, one of the things that we're really thinking about and one of the things that we, we hope the government will support to scale up is, is farmer to farmer mentorship programs, because mm -hmm. we see that as essential. We, you know, some of our members lead farmer mentorship programs in Canada. And what we what we see is astounding results for the new or the younger farmers who are mentored by farmers, as in their revenues are, grow much more quickly, their amount of production grow much more quickly, because they're able to kind of take the shortcut. And I'm going to put that in quotes, because by no means is starting up a farm easy, but they're able to learn immediately from the experience of farmers who have, you know, tried and tested different practices and grown to learn what works. I just spent a, a week uh, on an island that is ostensibly powered by solar. It has no mm. electrical power and few generators, that, uh, but mostly uh, well, mostly solar. And one of the things that I know that your group is is really quite intrigued with and and pushing for is the idea that farms and the land that they occupy just offer this uh, really pretty instant idea of solution. Of, uh, of generating solar um, and and uh, basically serving even surrounding communities with uh, with that. I mean, how do you make that happen all that readily mm. without there being a like a monstrous amount of infrastructural expenditure? Right, that's a good question, Kirk. Maybe I'll just start with kind of a bit of context and answer that question. You know, currently it's about four percent of farms that are generating renewable energy. Mm. 
that's relatively new for farms in Canada, but farmers have a long history of generating energy. As in, you know, if you drive through Alberta, most farms will have oil rigs on their land. So farmers in, in many places are used to generating a revenue off of energy generation on their land. One of the things we think is quite possible and quite likely within uh, Canada's green recovery from the pandemic is massive investments in clean energy uh, infrastructure, manufacturing. And what and, and that's because it's a great opportunity for new job creation and economic regrowth after the pandemic. And what we're advocating for is incentives that would support farmers to then be able to purchase quickly that kind of infrastructure that they can then put on their land and benefit from. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some farmers actually who are using, let's just take solar as an example. They're using their solar panels to actually plug in their electric tractors. Mm -hmm. And there's not many electric tractors yet in Canada, Kirk. But one of the other things that we're pushing for is actually a kind of a critical competitive advantage we have in Canada. Um, we're actually really well placed to be producing big batteries, big electric batteries. For things like school buses and, and um, you know, public transit, big trucks. Um, and we think that there could be a great overlap with farm machinery. So off-road vehicles like tractors, these kinds of things that farmers rely on. Um, you know, if we're making a clean energy transition across our economy, agriculture can't be left out and neither can farm machinery. And so there's a great opportunity potentially right now to invest in, you know, uh, Canadian uh, manufacturing of of on farm of, of farm machinery like tractors, so that then you know farmers can be well placed in the future to buy made in Canada tractors that are electric. But let, uh, let me jump in yeah, a little ahead. bit on this one uh, because I, I know I mean I'm sure you've been hearing in the last week or so uh, almost like a new sound that's coming out of the federal government that it really wants uh, the recovery to be very much a green recovery in this country. It, it, it doesn't appear to have the same weight, uh, the same emphasis on say some of the resource sector uh, as it might have um, pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. so, so essentially what's the opportunity do you think here uh, for, for agriculture? Right, it's a great question. I mean, I'll start with three things perhaps uh, that are important to remember in terms of farming. So the first one is you know, farmers are on the front lines of climate change. So more and more they're impacted, losing harvests because of massive hailstorms in June in southern Alberta or too too much rain in BC, you know. Uh, that's point one. Point two, though, is that, you know, emissions in the ag sector are actually increasing over the next decade. So that means between now and our Paris, or, you know, the Paris Agreement, emissions in the sector are really going in the wrong direction. And the third point is that, Farmers themselves can actually offer solutions that can benefit all Canadians towards getting closer to our, the climate targets we want to meet for Paris. So what we're thinking about here is that, you know, the government focus on a green recovery from the pandemic offers a huge opportunity to invest in climate resilience in agriculture. For us, climate resilience is Go, you know, um, adapting to climate impacts needs to go hand in hand with uh, um, reducing emissions. So I'll give you a good example. You know, one of the things we're promoting is incentives that support farmers to adopt cover cropping. Cover cropping maybe is a complicated jargony word that we use in the farming community, but all it means is essentially planting a crop that either helps to sequester nitrogen in your soil, kind of improve your soil health so it has more nutrition to serve the plants, 
when they're growing, the plants that you're going to harvest, and it keeps your soil covered. So that means, you know, your soil isn't blowing away and it's building soil health, building carbon sequestration in the soil. And with incentives uh, to scale up cover cropping, we know that uh, not only can more carbon be sequestered in this soil, but farmers can use far less nitrogen fertilizer. Nitrogen fertilizer has a huge carbon footprint out of the heavy industry, um, yeah, out of the heavy industry sector. And, you know, it's that kind of incentive that then supports a farmer to not only reduce emissions on their land, but when we're, when we're encouraging practices that incre increase soil health, we're actually building resilience on the land too. So yeah. soil health, it acts like a sponge, you know, so if it rains too much, your soil drains well. If it, if it doesn't rain enough, your soil keeps water and your crops then are in better health throughout the season and you'll end up seeing a stronger harvest. So for so, me, Kirk, that's like the win-win-win, you know, environment wins, but so do farmers in terms of making a livelihood off the land. Uh, so I, when I hear uh, an incentive like this, which sounds quite sensible, quite common sense, you know, obviously um, nothing strikes me as being in the way of it, except one thing, which is that mm -hmm. our neighbors to the South get quite perturbed when they perceive that anything that appears to be some kind of a subsidy of agriculture. You know, they, they, they cry foul. Uh, they consider it a, an unfair trade advantage that we have and that kind of thing. How do you, do you know how you make sure that an incentive like this isn't perceived as some sort of uh, prop for an industry that then runs afoul of, of you know, the, you know, the, the trade people. Right. Good question. So market concerns, of course, for farmers, they're trying to make a livelihood off of what they're growing. And, and that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, I think the simple answer to this question, Kirk, is just that this isn't actually um, a subsidy for the crop or the product that they're growing to sell at the market, but rather it's an incentive to encourage good behavior mm -hmm. that doesn't directly influence that market. So it's it's essentially a payment to help them cover the cost and take on the risk of adding in a practice that will do some environmental good. Because that's the thing is that farmers every year are making decisions like any good business person around how much they're spending and how much they're going to make. So when we're talking about something like cover cropping, well, there's an added expense there. It's added labor, it's added seeds, it's, it's time to get it out of the field before you get it into the, uh, you know, into your real cropping system. All of those things cost money. And what we're hoping is that through this kind of incentive, it doesn't create any kind of trade distortion, but rather helps the farmer just cover their cost to add in a practice that's good, not just for the farmer and kind of the longevity, the sustainability of their business, but good for all Canadians because it reduces emissions. Yeah. Um, I want to pick up on something that we discussed a little bit earlier in the discussion. So and it has to do with, I think, just the succession planning. Of, mm. of a farm and the fact that you're going to get a lot of people retiring and and you know we've we've seen this really now for a few generations where you know fewer and fewer have have decided that this is going to be their their lives pursuit um, and all this how how do you how do you turn a little bit of that around Karen so that uh, first of all that it's it's going to attract and not just those that have an awareness and a concern about climate change, but those that frankly just see it as a, as a logical, uh, sensible business to run where, where it's not, you know, we're not simply trying to point young people toward tech jobs in the city, for instance. Yeah. 
Good question. And it's a hard one. I it's, think a cultural, we, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a cultural thing. Exactly. But I think we can all, as all, you know, as citizens of the world, we can all relate to the idea of having a really good mentor, having a leader who inspires us to do something. I think we need the kinds of farmers who are leading voices in Farmers for Climate Solutions to hold the spotlight a little more, to talk to high school children, uh, to, to talk to elementary school children, to make it um, an available career choice that isn't just kind of hard, laborious work in which you're fighting the weather and making small margins. Mm. Um, there is, though, Kirk, a severe problem in agriculture. You know, farm debt has doubled over the past decade, to which it's now, you know, $115 billion. That's huge. So, you know, most young people or new people who are seeking a career don't have the capital to invest in the kind of machinery and land necessary. So another key thing we're thinking about is ways in which the government can help to support reduce some of those barriers. So it's not just about knowledge and feeling inspired on how to farm. You know, but it's also about reducing real capital barriers to entering the sector. Yeah, I, I wonder about the political leadership at times in this mm -hmm. country, because obviously 50 or 100 years ago, uh, you, you know, political leaders really understood the farm. Uh, they, they, they knew it. They uh, had family likely that worked in it. Um, you know, it was not not considered something that is a bit divorced uh, in the way that it is today. Uh, from urban life. Um, and apart from, you know, um, individual MPs or members of a legislative assembly or something whose ridings are directly on agricultural land, I, I don't hear our national or even our provincial leaders talking much day to day about agriculture. Um, mm. How do you get them to do that? Mm, that's a good question. Our new deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland, well, our new, our new finance minister, I guess I should say, um, her father's a rancher. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's a small connection, but I, I, I think you're right that food is something we talk a lot about. And I think more than ever, it's been in the media in relation to the pandemic. You know, we fought, saw uh, major stockpiling and empty shelves at the beginning to then kind of more than ever people thinking about resilience in food and agriculture. So I think we may be at a moment here, Kirk, kind of at a pivot where we're going to see much more conversation about food and farming. What we know from our meetings with offices in Ottawa, we actually just had a meeting this morning with Minister Bibo, the agriculture mm -hmm. minister. And she is incredibly keen uh, to position agriculture, food and farming as a key pillar in Canada's green recovery from COVID-19. And, you know, I heard loud and clear from her that climate resilience and, and reducing emissions, increasing adaptation needs to be part of that conversation. I also know that, um, you know, Minister Wilkinson's office is, is really interested in thinking about how all of Canada can reduce emissions. And as I mentioned earlier in this segment, agriculture emissions are increasing. So they're, they're also acknowledging that something different needs to change. So I think at a decision-making level, I think, I think the government too is realizing that agriculture can be front and center and can be part of the solution to climate change and our green recovery, a part of building back a better future in Canada. Uh, and then I, I think the other thing, Kirk, is just getting more farmers in the media, you know, getting more farmers to talk about their experience on the land, getting right. more Canadians kind of rallied behind their causes and their hard work. Uh, I think that'll, that'll help the conversation move forward. And, and one last thing, I guess, Karen, um, has the pandemic, do you think, taught people about um, the supply chain, about the, uh, 
the fact that we now have much more of a global interconnectedness than we have had, and that it's precarious at times, and that we need maybe to um, resolve that, that we're going to, frankly, bring things back home a little bit more uh, for the sake of protection, because we know that we'll have another pandemic at some stage. Yeah. Yeah, Kirk, I, I don't I, I think you'd be living under a, under a rock in Canada if you didn't if you didn't see any of the media or be part of conversations in which, you know, people were turning to backyard gardening and balcony gardening and supporting actively farmers markets as an essential service and thinking deeply about where their food came from, particularly at the outset of the pandemic when we saw massive stockpiling and empty shelves. I think the fact that our food crosses many borders, that even the laborers who produce a lot of our food in Canada also, they too cross many borders. I think for Canadians, it's really woken us up to some of the vulnerabilities and some of the lack of resilience in our food system, which of course includes farming, the production itself. So as I say, Kirk, I mean, maybe to conclude, I think we're really at a moment now where Canadians and the government are listening and thinking about strengthening local supply chains, you know, thinking about regional and localized processing facilities. You'll remember the massive shutdowns in the meat packing plants, and that created massive supply chain issues for our, for our beef industry in Canada. You know, I think, and, and that goes all the way to people actually getting engaged themselves in, you know, buying seeds, growing food, and knowing what it feels like to, you know, taste your tomato from the garden. So I think the pandemic has I hate to call it an opportunity because it's it's been so stressful and damaging for for most communities and some communities have been more affected than others but just to say that it it certainly opened our eyes to the ways in which we may uh we do want to consider building back better and not just building back what was yeah it's been an illuminating conversation karen i hope we can chat again uh, to see how some of your uh, your advocacy might have an impact as we start to see a whole new wave of federal and provincial programs across this country. So thanks for your time today. Thanks, Kirk. And we'll look forward to the speech from the throne, hoping to see farming and food in there for sure. <laughs> right. Karen Ross is the head of Farmers for Climate Solutions. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for watching us here on BIB Daily. We'll see you again.